Welcome back to Let's Talk About God. Here we are. It's We're us. here. It's us again. How are you doing? I'm doing great. All right. Good. Going to see Batman tonight. Are you going to go? Is it out tonight? It's out tonight. Oh, that would we'll be fun. We'll see how it is. All right. See how it does. I didn't get invited. Is this like you and your wife or are you Me going for some of your You're friends? All right. See, it used Sorry. to be you and I would go to the movies and now I'm the old man. That's all right. It's all right. My feelings aren't hurt. I'll just go by myself and sit behind you all and still do all the annoying things that I did when you and I used to go. Please don't. Yes. It's got an 8.9 right now on IMDb. 20,000 reviews. Okay. That's pretty good. 8.9 out of 10. Well, it's Batman. Isn't this one supposed to be, this is not like the Christian Bale Batman, right? So No, this is the dude from Twilight. Yeah. And my understanding is that the vibe of this movie is more going back to the detective theme. So Batman, like, originally was a detective. So he wasn't, like, beating as many people up. He was discovering clues and that whole deal. So I think this is trying to get back to that a little bit. That's what he did on the on the TV series. Yeah. He was trying, they would get clues and they would have to figure out what's going on. Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that's the dude's name. Yeah, Robert Pattinson. So we got like the Riddler is in there and the Penguin. Best Batman, Michael Keaton. Everybody agrees. Michael Keaton, the very first Batman. Michael he, Keaton was good. He was, because he, he wasn't all jacked up. He was like a real person. He was the rich millionaire and yet he had all the, to techno stuff, like you said. So I started the good, the bad, and the ugly yesterday. If we're just on movies, oh, uh, Clint Eastwood, you're in a clean East, Clint I'm, Eastwood. I'm kick. in a kick right now. He's just cool. Yeah, who wouldn't want to be like Clint Eastwood, like movie Clint Eastwood? Yeah. He's always a cool character. Yeah, and then you're gonna go down the dirty, hairy road. <clears throat> Probably after this one. Go but. go ahead, make my day. <laughs> you're the disease, and I'm the cure. <laughs> you're gonna get all the dirty, hairy Clint Eastwood one-liners. Elizabeth comes in and like laughs at those shows because they like compared to today they look so cheesy like the sound effects are kind of cheesy yeah because they remain the 70s yeah a lot of his remain this they're 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 called uh spaghetti westerns Mm -hmm. i have to watch it with the captions on because the audio is so bad and no one like enunciated like they do in movies now so like i'm like listening i'm like what did he just say why is the audio so quiet yeah so I have to, I just kind of read what they say. Yeah, the soundtrack. Yeah, like it's kind of, kind of like it's struggling. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh uh, yeah. So you watched the Outlaw Josie Wales? I did watch the Outlaw Josie Wales. That was a good one. Yeah. I don't really care about movies that much, but I'm starting to just because when I'm feeding August, I gotta have something to do. Yeah, have something to do. That's okay. Yeah, you'll become a movie aficionado like your dad. Kind of justifies my movie addiction. Favorite favorite movie of all times? What's your favorite movie? Have you got one? Oh, I heard you, Jessica. There you put your pun. <laughs> I'm still on movies. Oh, you <laughs> don't go to. Your, I got you so excited about movies. You I got me so pun. excited. What's your favorite movie before you go to your pun again? I always tell people it's Inception. Yeah, Inception. I don't a great think I've movie. changed. Because yeah. it's just awesome. Yeah. It's just a great movie. Yeah. For me, it's The Hunt for Red October. Yeah. That's a good one. The Hunt for Red October. I can watch it over and over. And and I can watch Inception over. That's that's probably it's in so my top. so deep. It's so complex. Yes. And it's got all the right things. It's not like, doesn't have these overly, there's no like sexual themes. There's nothing like crazy inappropriate like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's action packed. It's deep. The characters are very interesting. Um, you don't know what's going on. The it the first time you see it, the ending is wild. Yeah, um, you know I know it's just you, so creative. You, you know that I know. That. Oh, I know. We were in the movie. Evan and I went to watch this, and when it ended with the spinning top, 
and then they cut off the screen and didn't let you know what happened. I yelled out loud, no, no, they did not just do that. No. And Evan's sliding under this, under the seat. I still haven't forgiven you for that. I, I don't forgive me or not, but that was, I could not believe it. I just couldn't hold it in anymore. I'd be so wrapped up in that movie for two hours and then they'd leave you hanging. I just couldn't, I, it, mm. it uh, I, I was sitting back judging you. I had to get therapy just because I had to process through it. So greatest movie of all time, Casablanca. Think so? Casablanca rates in the top three movies ever created. It has, it has the, the love story. It has drama, suspense, action, um, the, the great songs as time goes by. The, the great one-liners, play it again, Sam. You know, it's the, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I mean, it's, it's from the start of the movie to the end of the movie. When it goes off, you just sit back and you just say, I just watched the perfect movie. It had everything. Black and white. Hmm. A black and white movie, and you'll say, had it everything. I mean, just anyway. So if you never watched Casablanca, you got to go watch it. So you've missed. I like, and it will, I just, and it will justify my what I'm saying. Today. I already hit you with so many puns. You were I just know. movie ranting. I don't even. even I'm just. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we ask that you would forgive us for going on so long, but uh, we were justified in our conversation. I'm a movie aficionado. What yeah. can I say? All right, we're talking about justification by faith. You're right. What? You're right. Oh, come on. Right. Justified, right. (sighs) We're talking about justification by faith today. Uh, We were talking about how, so when we start, (laughs) can't talk. When we first started the podcast, um, well, we talked about a lot of very general theological topics. So we kind of like talked about things like the Trinity, the attributes of God, the atonement, the order of salvation, and um, those things were wonderful. And what the we've ordo been able, salutis. yeah, what we've been able to do is now go back to some of those themes where we talked about something as general as like why Christ died for us, and then just begin to break it down into more individual topics. Um, how are we saved? Uh, you know, what does it mean to be justified by faith? All of these different things. So we're kind of going back and hitting some specifics here or there. Justification by faith, very, very important. It's central to obviously Jesus, but very specifically Paul's theology of salvation, what it means to be saved. And it was recovered at the Protestant Reformation I was say, it by, was the, by Martin Luther and the rest of the reformers. It was the cry. It was the it was the the war cry of, if you will, the Reformation. Martin Luther said, the church stands or falls on this doctrine, the doctrine of justification by it grace is, through faith. It is central to salvation. Absolutely. If you don't get this, you don't really get the gospel. This this is like base level what it means to be a Protestant, like like low, like on the floor, in the basement, under the ground. Like This is what it means. So we want to have a good understanding on what justification by faith is. So 30-second definition, justification by faith is to be declared righteous on account of Christ alone. Uh, I have a couple. Uh, it is a divine forensic act, and forensic relates to the courts of law. Mm-hmm. So a divine forensic act of God based on the work of Christ on the cross, whereby a sinner is pronounced or declared righteous 
by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. That's great. That's like a much more full treatment. And I think you kind of got everything there. Yeah, I have another one. It's it's a legal term signifying to acquit, mm-hmm. declare righteous, and show to be righteous. Uh, and so to be justified by God means that you are declared righteous in God's sight. That's good. That's how he views you. That's great. Isn't that great that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. He sees you righteous. And not only just, it's not your righteousness, he sees his mm-hmm. son's righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's Ooh. a righteousness not of your own. Hey, I'm about to run. So, <laughs> um, let's just kind of take you, let's just do all the preliminary. Let's just kind of logically um, today just sort of take you through our need for justification. What is justification? How is justification accomplished? We're just kind of take you through through the whole logical flow. So, the first thing we need to talk about before we ever get to ju- justification is God's righteousness. Uh, Psalm 11.7 says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. So God is a righteous God. He loves what is right, and uh, he hates what is evil. He is righteousness. So wherever he sees righteousness, he loves it. And wherever he he sees unrighteousness, he absolutely despises it. He hates it. He did not create the world with unrighteousness in it, with sin in it. Um, It is completely and totally evil and foreign to his nature. So that's first off. Second, um, because God is righteous and because God is just, God pours out his righteous and just judgment on sinners. He is the righteous judge. The righteous judge. So just like you have a judge in your county, your town, whatever, uh, he is the judge of all mankind. And he's perfectly right. He never gets it wrong. Mm -hmm. He he knows the law because the law flows straight out of who he is. Yeah. So God is the 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 sovereign judge of the whole universe. He created the universe. He made the universe. He governs it. Um, things don't slip uh, out of God's control. Nobody gets something by Him. You can't hide from can't God. Him. You can't fake Him. You, you you know you can't pretend to be repentant and trick God. You can't bribe Him. You can't plead a deal. Nothing. There's, yeah. there's nothing that you can do. God is the sovereign of the universe. You can't settle with God. We're going to get a settlement yeah. here and plead, plead, do a deal. Uh, what do you, a plea bargain? No, nope. yeah. <laughs> it's either you do or you don't. That's it. That's exactly right. So Psalm 9, 8 says, and he judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. So like you said, God judges with fairness. He's perfectly equitable. That's right. Yeah. That's good. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. So with justice he judges and he makes war. God is just. He is fair. He is right. He sees what's wrong, and he punishes it. He sees what is right, and he blesses it and honors it. Romans 2.4-8, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. 
So this is core to Paul's argument as he's kind of building up to justification by faith. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, he's basically telling Gentile and Jew alike, you are both sinners. And he points out something specifically that God is going to pour out his wrath on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Um, I was... I, I preached from Joel last night to our students, and Joel mentions the day of the Lord. And I was telling them how the day of the Lord is not like an like one actual day. When the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, he's it's really talking about any time that God sovereignly pours out his justice, his wrath on sinful nations and people. But what the New Testament does, so there's multiple days of the Lord, if you will. But when the New Testament grabs on to the day of the Lord, oftentimes it's talking about the final day. It's talking about judgment day. It'll Paul talks about the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great white, what's called in eschatology, the great white throne judgment. That's right. right. When God comes not just to judge a particular nation or a people, but to judge the living and the dead, as the Apostles' Creed says. He's judging everybody. Mm-hmm. And so God as judge, um, from the beginning of our story where he judges Adam and Eve to the end of our story where he judges the world is seen um, as just that, as a judge who meets you in a courtroom. And like Paul says, those who persist in disobedience, he will pour out his wrath. And those who persist in righteousness, he will pour out righteousness. And I know you're about to, and our next point is God has given his law Mm -hmm. externally, internally. Let, Let me just say something that maybe will help our believers our, our listeners, rather, they are believers. Uh, who are believers? Um, <laughs> c- c- kind of j- c- connect some dots. In the United States of America, we have three branches of government: we have the mm-hmm. executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, and they're they're separated. Mm-hmm. Okay, in God, you have the executive, legislative, and judicial wrapped up in one person. Mm-hmm. So they're not well, separated. Three huh? One being. One being. But, well, <laughs> sorry. I, in God. Okay. You're going to go down the Trinity road I'm with sorry. me. <laughs> so, so you have um, God it is the legislative branch in that the law flows from out of him. Mm-hmm. So he isn't the judge that just upholds the law and determines whether or not the legislature, legislation is, is correct. Mm-hmm. He is the one who creates the law, carries out the law. Ju- you know, is the judge whether or not the law is being followed, and is the executor. Okay, so so he's the one that is implementing the law in mm-hmm. our lives, and and carrying it out, and validating and signing it into you know, if you will. So it, it helps you realize God's all. He's the package. Yeah, because he's God. That's right. So just like you were talking about, you know, God is this, we have this picture of him as the righteous judge, and we're starting to get this picture of sin, not just as a disease, which it is, but as guilt of something that um, we, we've done wrong that needs punishment, that there is a, a reward, there is a wage for our actions. We're getting this picture, and God kind of clearly paints that when he gives us a law. James 4.12 says, there is one lawgiver and judge. There you go. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So we're not called to be judges. God is the one who judges. But then we see in Exodus 22 through 17 and also in Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 21, God gives his law to a newly formed people. 
And this is what's really, really important, is that sin really is the breaking of the law. Sin is something that is not only a corruption of our nature, but it is the the breaking of a known law. It is um, trespassing. It is, it's violation yes, of what missing is, the mark. Missing the mark. It's an iniquity. It's it a transgression. Guilt. So what yeah. we see in in Exodus and Deuteronomy is God is forming a kingdom. He's forming a nation. And what's crucial to a nation is that they have a king who is their god. What's crucial to a nation is they have a land. God promises the promised land. But also what's crucial to a nation is that they have laws. Right. They have a way of living together, abiding with one another, and deciding between good and, and evil that that government is going to enforce. When God calls his people to be a holy people, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he gives them his whole law. So it's central to God's kingdom, which is now a invisible kingdom, and a kingdom that encapsulates all believers, is a law. And laws can be obeyed, and laws can be broken. And so God tells his people, if you obey, obey, I'll bless you. But if you break my law, there will be judgment from the government. And if you as a, as a nation break my law, I will bring the day of the Lord, a divine judgment right. on so, you. So there was, we've done an episode of this. So there was the moral we law. We have done, yeah. There was a ceremonial yeah. law, and then there were civil laws, mm-hmm. just like we have civil laws uh, about just the, the general things of society. And of course, the, the civil and ceremonial laws are no longer applicable to us in the New Testament. New Testament, mm-hmm. the moral law has always been applicable, mm-hmm. even before God gave it to Israel. Murder was wrong, lying was wrong. You should only have one God before you. No other gods. That's so, why people died from Adam to Moses, right? Because it's still sin. It's still sin, and so and there are other moral laws: love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body; love your neighbors, you love yourself; do unto others, your brothers do unto you. So the New Testament has given us. But you're right. That moral law is what we are called to live up to. Mm-hmm. When we don't, that's when we get in trouble. Um, and we, uh, this was fun. We got to do this last episode. If you want to hear more about uh, the law, we have three episodes on the three uses of the law. And if you want to hear more about kingdom and covenant, we have an episode on the kingdom of God and on biblical covenants. That would kind of give you a greater context for what we're talking about. Absolutely. Which is neat. Um, Romans, this is super, just really important to Paul's argument. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. So we know that we have the external law that God has given us in his Ten Commandments, but what about those Gentiles who never received the Ten Commandments in the past? 
God says they are without excuse, that God's divine nature, his eternal power, has been made clear to him, especially through creation. Creation is screaming to the whole world, there is a God. Um, Implicitly there, he's saying that there is a conscience, that people know right from wrong. It's not that they don't know the truth, but they suppress the truth, and by suppressing the truth, God hands them over further to a hardened and darkened heart to live out their sin, to reject God, to worship idols, to do all of those things, and he will pour out his wrath on all ungodliness, not just the Jewish folk who know the Ten Commandments and reject it, everyone, Jew and Gentile. This is key to his argument. Romans 1, he's making all the Gentiles sinners that God's going to pour his wrath on. Romans 2, he's making all the Jews sinners that God's going to pour his wrath on. And so when we look at God as the righteous judge, there's not only an external law, but he's made his law clear through our conscience and through creation, and we've willingly rejected him. Yep. You go to Romans 3, and he sums it up, for all have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God. That's right. Um, So we see God's law, and everyone is a sinner. Jew and Gentile, like everyone's a sinner. Everyone has broken God's law. Everyone's sinned against their own conscience and against God's moral law. Um, We're all sinners. That's kind of our next point. Um, Psalm 143.2 says, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is in your sight. So this is even in the Old Testament. We have this doctrine. Is righteous in your sight. Yeah, no one is. What did I say? You said in your sight. No one is alive in your sight. (laughs) That would be trouble. We're all dead. In a way, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is true. Amen. All right. Uh, Romans. Amen. Amen. <laughs> glory. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. First um, John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. David says elsewhere, in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, we we know that the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. We're all guilty. We're all under death. You may think you're a good person overall, but you're not that good. You're not. Nobody is. You're born in sin. You're born in sin. And your you, sin may be different than other people. But you do things wrong. You may conceal your sin. You know you do. God sees it. Yeah, you do. You know you do. And sin, as we know from God, is not just actions, but it's thoughts, it's word, it's deed. You can't just steal from somebody. That's not allowed. You can't even covet what your neighbor has. You can't want it, think that you deserve it, that you should have it. You, you can't lust after what someone else, is, someone else has, um, or that's just as wrong as going and stealing it. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder, but you can't even hate your own brother. That's, that's as good as murder in Jesus' eyes. You ever said, I wish they were dead? That's you sinned. That's sin. That's essentially murder. So now as we're kind of building this thing up, God is a righteous God. He judges sin. He's made his law clear to us, and we are all sinners, born in sin from our father Adam and sinned against God, against his law, whether it's the Ten Commandments that we know or God's conscience that we know naturally. We have sinned. And here's the thing about the law, and this is key to Paul's argument. Although God has given us his law, and it's holy, and it's good, and it's righteous, and it tells us God's will for our life, unlike the Jewish people of his day, we know the law cannot save us. Right. That is never the function of the law. Go back to our episode on the second use of the law. The law cannot save 
Romans 3, 20 through 21, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Key verse right there. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. And what he means there is the Old Testament. So why can the law not save us? Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. It just reveals what's right and wrong. That's all it does. That's it. It yeah, doesn't it does, empower you to doesn't obey. Doesn't change you, right? Doesn't strengthen you obey. It just says obey and points out, uh, you haven't done that. That's like you driving by a speed limit sign says fifty five. All it's doing is telling you this is what's right. If you go over it, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you you have to make a choice. And let's just be honest. We're all speeding, pedal yeah. to the metal. Oh yeah. Isaiah sixty four six. All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. We're all sinners, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags in the sight of God. Our sin has tainted anything, quote-unquote, righteous that we even think we're doing apart from Christ. Galatians two fifteen through 16, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Paul is saying, look, hey, I'm writing to you Galatians. I know that you're Jews by birth. You're not sinners in the way that Gentiles are sinners, but even for us, no one is justified by the works of the law. Um, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, but we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent. So we're reading a lot of scripture here, but the point is this, is that the law was given to us to point out that we're sinners. The law was given to us to point out our need for a Savior. The law was given to us, um, Paul actually tells us later on in Galatians 3, 21 through 24, as like a tutor, as a guide, as, as a restraint. It was to kind of um, speak to our minds, hey, here's right and here's wrong. Try your best not to break it. But, and, and to show you that you're sinful, because you we will sinful. make excuses for ourselves, and we'll say, well, he's worse than me, and I'm not really that bad. I'm not a serial killer. I'm mm-hmm. not this... And so we will justify ourselves. Now, if somebody else messes up, boy, we're going to point it out real quick, but we will excuse ourselves. That's right. And the law says there's no excuse for you. Mm. You are a lawbreaker. And that's why we got rid of the Ten Commandments in America. People, very wicked, evil people, said we got to get rid of it, get it out of the courtrooms, Mm -hmm. get it out of the school. What would be so bad about having the Ten Commandments in every school in America? It's, well, whether you believe or not, it's awesome. It's still good. Well, I'm Jewish. I'm Islamic. I'm, I'm an atheist. I, that offends me. What what offends you about right and wrong? Mm-hmm. So all that was was a, a work of the devil. Mm-hmm. That was diabolical. If you can remove the law of God, then you have lawlessness. It's a suppression of the truth because the Ten Commandments is nothing like it's nothing outrageous in the sense that everything you find in the Ten Commandments you can find in nature in the natural law. Yes. The Ten Commandments just makes explicit what our conscience implicitly tells us. But but the man of sin is the man of lawlessness. Lawlessness. Mm-hmm. This is of the Antichrist. Is it is anti Jesus. It's it's diabolical. It's of the devil. And so you see, if we can remove humanity, American society said, if we can get rid of the moral law, then we can do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. We'll create our own law. 
Well, go good good for that. That's still not going to change. One of these days, you got to stand before God. That's right. So that's the point of the law. The law tells you, hey, you're a you sinner. Need, you're a sinner, and you need sa- saving. Mm. You you've got to have somebody save you, or you're going to die and go to hell. That's right. Um, the law in in Paul's day, many of the Jewish folks thought that they could receive salvation by law keeping. That's right. So what the Pharisees had done, and this is why the Sermon on the Mount is so important, is they had twisted the law to fit it in such a way that they were keeping the law. So they took it very literally. Like the, the Bible says, don't murder. Well, I won't murder. But Jesus says, is, you're kind of missing the heart of the law. You, you can't just not murder. You can't hate. You know, the, the law says, uh, don't commit adultery. That's, you know, great that you didn't cheat on your wife, but you can't even want to. You can't look after a woman with lustful eyes or it's as if you've done it. So the Pharisees had sort of twisted the law in such a way that they could keep it and then merit God's favor and his blessings to deliver them from Roman captivity and to save their people. But Jesus comes pointing out their sinfulness that, yeah, you may keep the law in this sort of wooden interpretation, but you're sinful in your heart. You're a whitewashed tomb. Your thoughts and desires are evil all of the time. You might have tricked everybody else, but you haven't tricked me. I see who you really are. You have broken the law. Yep. And James tells us if you break one one little tiny part of the law, it's like you've broken the whole broken thing. A whole thing. And the wages of sin is death. Yeah. And so the law was never designed to save you. The law was always to point out your sin, to try and restrain and kind of curb human sin, to kind of hold it back until the time that Christ would come and actually deliver us from our sin. We are all sinners. We've all broken it. And we need somebody to come in and to remove this guilty record from us, to remove this stain that is on our conscience, that's on our soul, that's on our record. Who in the world is going to do that? It's Jesus. Yeah. And so now we get to the point where Christ fulfills the law for us. So Romans 3, 23, 26 through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and justified the one who has faith in Jesus. I've been yapping this whole time. This is like, this is, this is it. This is the key verse. Would you just walk, or passage, I guess, would you walk us through this passage and just sort of break down what in the world is Paul saying here? How does this, how, how does this logically flow? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is really now we're going to get into justification because everything we've done up to this point has really just been laying a foundation. Mm-hmm. To me, the, the key verse, the key part of this verse, Romans 3, 23 through 26, is, is where it says, so that God would be just and justify the one who has faith. So it's how can God be both just and justifier? How can he be just, fair, uphold the law, and still um, save sinners, just justify sinners? That This is really important because a lot of people will say, well, why did Christ have to die? Why, why couldn't God just say, oh, you're all forgiven? Why in the world was a sacrifice needed at all? Right. So, so here's uh, you and I were talking about this earlier. And I, I made notes about this. I, I'm going to talk about. I'll go to that later. But 
you know, we've already established his holy nature is the standard for true righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've already we've established that God hates sin, unrighteousness. He is he he is impelled by his holy nature to to judge it, to pour out his wrath on those who commit sin. It would be unjust to let sin go unpunished. Right. And 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 him punishing sin and punishing sinners is actually a revelation of his righteousness. That's right. You ever thought about that? Yeah. The, his hatred of right, sin. Right, but that's a revelation of God being righteous. Uh-huh. Okay. And that that would be him being the righteous God, judge. God would never justify ungodly people if it meant violating his holy law and his holy nature. This creates a conundrum, if you will. A divine dilemma. Right. So there's three options that God... So one, he can just deny his entire nature and, and or rather go by his nature completely and just condemn sinners, send them all to hell and be done with it. Mm-hmm. That's option one. The second one is he defies his own nature and compromises mm. and says, well, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to forgive them and justify them, even though they've done wrong. The no penalty has been paid. Uh, the, the, I'll just forgive them. Yeah, sweep it under the rug. The third option would be that he change sinners into righteous people, mm. but he does it in accordance with his holy nature, and that's the third option. And this is where the gospel comes in. And what the gospel does, the gospel reveals a way. It's a, it's a it's a way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life. It's a way in which sinners can be justified without offense to God's divine justice, um, which condemns sin. Mm-hmm. So, so how does that happen? Well, this is the pure gospel. By dying in our place, by Jesus coming and dying on the cross, he takes the, the punishment for the violation of the law. The judge has said, you have sinned, all have sinned. You should be punished. Mm-hmm. You said it earlier. The wages of sin is death. The soul who sins shall surely die. So I'm supposed to die. Jesus comes in who is righteous, Mm -hmm. sinless, the only one who qualifies and says, I will take on flesh Mm -hmm. and I will die. And not not just in Chris's place or Evan's place or anybody, I'm going to die for everybody. And he qualified. And so he takes the punishment. He was wounded for our transgressions. Mm -hmm. See, he was bruised for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace with God was placed on him. Yeah. So he took it. And, and, and so God's, you have to understand this. When he's hanging on the cross, God's righteous wrath and judgment were poured out on him. Mm-hmm. But they, but it was as if every person who who has ever been born is on the cross. This is where the concept of the first and the second Adam is so crucial. That if all of humanity is subsumed in Adam, and so wherever, wherever Adam goes. Everyone else, it impacts everyone else. It's as if everyone else is there. So too, when Christ is up on the cross, all of humanity, in a a sense, participates in him so that his death becomes their death, when in reality, they won't have to suffer that death because he did it for them. Right. So this is what we call the penal substitution or substitutionary death. Mm -hmm. So, So Jesus acted in our name. Jesus acted on our behalf. And because he qualified and met the righteous requirements of God, somebody has to die. I'll die. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can die in their place. You're righteous. 
then the claims of God's law, this is very important, have been fully satisfied. That's the key term right there, satisfaction of God's satisfaction. law. Satisfaction, okay? So so now God can, can be just. Mm-hmm. Somebody paid the price. My wrath was poured out. Sin has been... A, has has been dealt with, okay? It happens to be God who did it. God took it, Son mm-hmm. of God, but God took it, okay? Then rose from the dead, now lives as a Savior. So th- what's key is then the result is when we place our faith in what he did. That's why we say that you're justified by faith through grace. I have to trust that what he did, God will then take and appropriate to me, mm-hmm. that's that's what happens when you get saved. I can't save myself. I'm in trouble. Yeah, but Jesus did this wonderful thing for you, and if you will just trust, have confidence in, believe in what He did, God will then appropriate His work to you. Okay? This is why I can say that I've been buried with Christ. That when I have faith, I'm subjectively joined to Jesus, and it's as if I died on the cross. It's as if I buried in the tomb. The law demanded that Evan dies, and when I am joined to Christ, it's as if I died. It's as if the law was carried out, but instead of it being carried out on me, I'm joined to Christ, and it was carried out on Christ. You identify with him and with what he did for you, okay? And And then, so you freely accept God's pardon as a gracious act, Mm. and that's why you can't work for it, and we don't have time to go into that, but... That that was the problem with the Jews. They thought they had to work to be saved, mm-hmm. and the whole concept, and that's why the Reformation was so powerful, is because the Catholic Church was doing all these, in essence. You're dissatisfied for your own sins. Right, you were working for it, and yeah. they said, no, it is by grace through faith. So so you God does this. So because you, you just freely accept this and appropriate it, then you, this is the key, you are made righteous, you're made righteous. You're you're a sinner, but suddenly you're made righteous, and you possess righteousness. So it's not your righteousness, though, but what it's given to you. Mm-hmm. It is the righteousness of Jesus. It's imputed to your account. So, so I explain like, imputation. Okay, so imputation is where uh, the way I would say it is. Um, like down south, we say "I reckon." <laughs> so, so, so it's the same word. Yeah. You reckon to your account. You impute to the account. It's credited. Uh-huh. So so. I like to say this. Not only was my was my 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 account, my bank account, my spiritual bank account zero, I was in the negative. I was in the hole. I was in the hole so deep I couldn't pay that debt. Mm. It was the debt of sin. Jesus comes and pays my debt, but he doesn't just make it back. He doesn't pay the debt of my sins. All the things I've ever son done, he he says, I'm gonna pay the debt and we're gonna get you back to zero with God. No. He not only gets me back to zero, then he takes his righteousness mm. and he puts it into my account, and now I have this account with unending righteousness, be like having unending money, like more, yeah. more money than you could ever imagine has been put in my bank account that was in the bread more than I could ever come up with. So this is what we would call the non-imputation of sin. So sin is no longer reckoned by account. Exactly. And then the positive yeah. imputation of Christ's righteousness, now Christ infinite life and merit are credited to my account. And this is why you have to understand that when you get saved and God looks at you, he doesn't see you the way he used to see you when you were in sin. He sees you 
righteous. And the reason he sees you righteous is, it, righteous is because he doesn't see your righteousness. Mm-hmm. He sees Jesus' righteousness. That's good. One of my favorite church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, yesterday uh, you mentioned one of your favorite preachers. You said he had a silver tongue. Um, Chrysostom in Greek literally means golden mouth. So this guy was such a good preacher. He he explained it like this. This doctrine, think about this, goes all the way back to the fourth century. So this is, when we talk about the Reformation, we're talking about a rediscovery, not an invention, right. which then it goes all the way back to the Bible, the Apostle Paul. So um, Chrysostom describes it as this. Imagine you're in prison, and someone comes, and the jailer says, hey, we're actually setting you free. But it's not just that you leave prison and like you have no money and no clothes and you're just now a free man. But it's as if the king himself comes and dresses you in royal garb, gives you half the kingdom, gives you infinite money, and uh, uh, gives you a, a position in the entire kingdom. That's what we're, the non-imputation. I'm free from prison. But now the imputation is I'm given this infinite And I would take it one critical step further is the king says, I'm adopting you Into my as my family, and you're part of the family. That's so you're, you're, you're going to come live in the palace, and you're an heir and a joint heir with me. Everything I have is yours. Mm. So that that's what we have. And so we are one with Jesus, and we share his status and acceptance by God the Father. Now, I think the thing that, and as we, we, we kind of wrap this up or get close to wrapping it up, we're it, we're pretty good, right? Okay, we so we're good. Yeah. I, I want to make sure we're not getting away from it. We're good. Is is understanding then what it means to be justified, and and and, and I've shared all this, you know, that we're justified. But when we say when we say I'm justified by faith through grace, what does that really mean? Um, there have been religious organizations who who said, well, that's that's where God actually makes you righteous. That that's it. But it's really not. If you read the scriptures and you look at the original language, to be justified is to be declared mm. righteous. It's, it's a legal. It's a legal pronounce, uh, pronouncement, a declaration. That mm-hmm. it's very important. And and I just I, I think if we grab a hold of this, it'll help us. If you're standing before somebody and they have the power of your life in their hands, whatever next comes out of their mouth determines the trajectory of the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. That's God. Mm. And God looks at you. And because you cried and prayed in an altar and said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, God, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe what you did. And the next thing that comes out of God's mouth is I do, I forgive you. And I declare today that you are righteous. Mm. God just said you are righteous. Yeah. That, if you could grab a hold, because I don't know that we all even think about that when we get saved. I don't know if anybody explains it enough, but God, you say, well, what does God think of me? God says, you're righteous. Yeah. You're right. Before my eyes, you're a right person. There's no sin in you. You're not in, in my eyes. You're in right standing with me. So, so what does that mean? So there are a couple things. Number one, that means you are no longer subject to punishment mm. for your sins. Yeah. I mean, no death. No death. The debt's been paid. You you are no longer legally punishable. You are excluded from all possibility of condemnation. Mm. And uh, there is therefore now no, no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. And I and I and I know that we're behind. So whoever's ahead of us, they our church folks listen. They know this, but because we're doing this, and then we don't publish this the next to month, the next yeah. month. 
uh, I'm doing a series right now on forgiveness, and this Sunday I'm preaching a message. I've preached on the God forgiving you. The second series message was forgiving others. This one is forgiving yourself. Mm. And there are a lot of people who are living under condemnation. God has forgiven you and declared that you are no longer righteous. Your sins are no longer imputed against you. They're gone. The price has been paid, and yet the devil or their own heart and their mind They'll go around thinking, yeah, but I was such a bad person. God can't use me. I'm just, and we beat ourselves. We we have this self-condemnation when God wants to move us to solid confidence in what he is and what he's done. That's good. And so that that's what happens. So all of that, it means pardon, remission, the non-imputation of sins. We already said that. It means reconciliation with God. It means the end of his wrath and enmity. So you were an enemy of God, and now you're a friend of God. You're a friend of God because of justification. And I love this. I read this. See if you like this. It is the final judgment brought into the present. Mm. You could say it's proleptic. Proleptic. Like that? Uh-uh. What's that fancy mean? fancy word that it's looking into the future. Yeah. But the eschaton has broken in to And has broken day. into the present. Yeah. So it, so what should have happened and could have happened to you at the final judgment you were talking about, the you know, we talked about mm-hmm. the great white throne judgment. That 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 event was fast forwarded into the moment you got saved, mm. but instead of a judgment of your 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 name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're you're all in this book of sin. I'm casting you into a devil's hell. Instead, the penalty was put on Christ at the cross, mm. and and so the final judgment was brought into the present, and you've been declared. So 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 that's the negative side. You're no longer subject to punishment. What does it mean to be justified? The positive is you are entitled to all the privileges due to a person who has kept God's law. It's as if you never sinned. Right. That's how God looks at it. It's like you never did anything wrong. And so you're on under you're not under condemnation, but we mentioned earlier in the show God blesses the righteous. You're righteous now. Right. In God's eyes. And you're blessed. So it means the bestowal of a righteous man's status mm-hmm. as far as God's concerned and a title to all the blessings promised to those who are just. Mm. Okay, for example, you're adopted as a child of God. I mean, we could sit here and list 20, 30 of them. Yeah. But now where those things, you didn't have access to those. Now you have total access to all of that. You can stand, you can go boldly before the throne room of God. There you go. No, and you're not going to a king or a judge who will crush you. You're going to a father who sees you as righteous. Like you can freely talk to God without any concern that he that he's going to judge you or, or see any sin in you. He just sees his son, Jesus. Yeah, and you're justified. And and again, and this is where uh, you know, I think the Armenians, the early Armenians struggle with this and, and some other organizations through the years is, yeah, but what if I sin again? Because we, we all sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do. John said, brethren, I write these things that you sin not, but if any man sins, he knew it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, then what happens? Am I no longer justified? Am I no longer righteous? So so there is this concept of understanding is, well, yeah, you have sinned, okay, but but you've still been declared righteous in the eyes of God. So there's still the culpability of sin. Now, that puts a responsibility on me to deal with that sin. Mm-hmm. And that's why he said, I write, but if anyone sins... Okay, we have an advocate with the Father. There is an atoning sacrifice. Jesus' blood will never lose its power. And if we confess our sins, God, get this now. See if you like this. If we'll confess our sins, I messed up. All right, I got saved. I've messed up. I got to go confess my sin. God is faithful and just. There it is. God is faithful and just 
to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from what? All unrighteousness. When I sin, that's unrighteous. Mm. See it? There mm-hmm. it is. I mean, you can't get any plainer than that. Context says it. I write these things that you sin not. When you sin, it's unrighteousness. I'm righteous, but ugh, I've just committed unrighteousness. What I need, I have a responsibility. I got to get, I got to go take care of that. And so I go back and thank God the same blood and the same cross and the same Christ that got me righteous the first time. I, when I sin and mess up, I go back and it keeps me. It deals with the sin and I get it under the blood and I still stand before God righteous. And he's faithful. God doesn't remove his promises. So like it, uh, people struggle, I think a lot of times they think, I, you know, I've out the grace of God, but God's faithful and just. God has, God will not change and he's promised you when you repent and believe, I'll forgive. You can never out did, did I go live a horrible life for 20 years, but do you repent and believe now? He's faithful. Yeah, you can't out the grace because the Bible says in Romans 5 is where sin abound, grace much more about. There's always more grace. Mm. Now that's not a license to sin. Absolutely, we not. always say that. That God's not going to. God's not stupid. You know. Yeah, if, yeah. If you're going to go say, "Well, I'll just go sin," and God's going to look at you like you think I'm dumb. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Forget it. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm only, he, yeah. I'm only going to forgive you if you really mean it. And He's just to forgive your sins. Why? Because there is an actual sacrifice in your place. You participated yep. in Christ's death. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not just our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. That's why Andre Crouch's song, which we sang, we sang it last Sunday. I sang it. I pulled out these old songs. I love Andre Crouch's songs. Mm-hmm. I love it. The blood will never lose its power. It reaches the highest mountain, flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it'll never, he is right. It will never lose its power. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is just, you, if you really, when you start really grabbing a hold of what this means to be justified, God has spoken and it has rung out throughout the entire universe. You are righteous. Every devil in hell hears it. Mm. The devil, every demon hears it. It's, mm. You are righteous. All the angels hear it in a court of law because heaven is a courtroom. Yeah, that's good. Ask Job. Job said, oh, that I could go and stand before him and plead my case. I don't know why I'm suffering. I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't have any answers I've tried to live right. I've tried to do the right thing. If I could just get into his courtroom, I'd plead mm. my case to the judge. Heaven is a courtroom. Yeah, the that's Bible, exactly what it is. It is. The Bible says it. And God's a righteous judge. But you don't have to go before God and plead your case. You've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who will plead your case for you. And not only that's him, awesome. but the Holy Ghost is a paracletos. He's also an advocate. Mm. So you got the attorneys of Son and Holy Ghost. <laughs> Going to the Father for you at yeah. all times. Yeah, instead of Smith, Jones, and, and Lewis, you've got Son and Holy Ghost firm. <laughs> it is. It is. They're your advocates. That's awesome. Oh, I know. It's powerful. So how do we receive it? You've, like, you've mentioned it a ton, but let's explicitly say it. We're justified by grace, right? God's grace is his unmerited favor. Right. God's grace is, was merited on the cross. So, like, literally, how am I justified? Because Christ lived a perfect life for me, and I get that record. It's a gift. How am I justified? Christ dies on the cross. How am I justified? Actually, through the resurrection, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's it. Christ's vindication as righteous, as someone who does not deserve death, who conquers death, justifies us. So that's God's grace. That's the that's the substance, the, the material, where it happened was the cross. But how do I get it? I get it through faith. Right. Faith is the hand that reaches out and grabs on to God's grace. God's grace was purchased objectively on the cross, but faith is how I subjectively right. grace personal, is grace is personally. The, grace is the gift. Yes. Here's the gift of salvation. Grace the the key word for grace is gift. Yep. So so it's God's gift. You're right. 
Faith says, I'm, grabs it. Yeah, if you got me, see, I'm in the in the podcast recording room here, holding my hand out, mm-hmm. and then you're just reaching your hand out, saying, I receive it, I take it. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about. I receive Christ as my Savior. Ephesians two eight. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not yourselves. It is God's gift. Galatians 3.11, it's clear that no one's justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And here's something key to Paul's argument in the Old Testament. Genesis 15.6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Yes. Before there's the law, before Moses came around, before Abraham was ever circumcised, how is he reckoned as righteousness through faith. Yeah, that was it. And so the gospel is the power of God unto salvation because it's the for it's everyone the gospel, who believes shall be saved. Yeah. So the gospel goes forth, produces faith in our heart by the Holy Spirit, and now by faith, I receive all the promises of God. Well, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's another way of saying, shall be made righteous. Faith is the exact opposite of works. Shall be justified. It's not looking at myself. It's belief that Christ is sufficient. He satisfied the law perfectly. He was born under, uh, born of the law, born, or, born of a woman, born under a law to deliver those from under the law. He lived a perfect life for you, died for you by faith, I appropriate that, and I take that. And, and, and you have to do that all the rest of your life. You can never yeah. drop that faith. You can't ever lose the gift. You shouldn't. You should hang on to the gift. Mm-hmm. Per- hold that. that that's, that's what saves you. Right. So you have to, Paul talks about, I know whom I have believed our slave, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Mm-hmm. So you protect it. You protect the gift. And then you walk in that confidence in God all the days of your life. And that's that's one of the meanings, I think, about, which was this was pivotal, uh, the just shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have to trust God. If you're going to make it to heaven, you're going to, you always have to say anything that I am. Paul lived a horrible life and God saved him. And he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Mm. And so that's what you always say is anything I am is because of what Jesus did for me. And that's why I'm righteous. And this is so important is repentance and faith are what saves you. And repentance and faith is something a Christian has to practice every day. Yes. The first of Luther's 95 theses is when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended for the whole life of a believer to be one of repentance. Wow. And and something I didn't understand when I first started preaching is that Christians need the gospel too. It's like like my immature framework was like, okay, if you're a Christian you don't need to hear that God forgives you anymore, presently. You need to hear about sanctification. You need to be told to live right. You need to get, you you know, I need to teach you how to just read the Bible or tell you to pray. All those are good things, don't get me wrong. Christians need the gospel too. It's repentance and faith every day that keeps me in Christ and then is the basis for all the benefits in Christ. I think that's why we do communion on a regular basis, and that that is subjective. So whatever that regular basis is depends on the church, whatever. But the point is, you show forth the Lord's death. Why do we Until have to? Comes, why do yeah. I have to keep going back to Calvary, Jesus? I want you to go back and remember this mm-hmm. is the foundation. This is this is where your faith lies. This mm. is your faith's here. Your justification's here. This is not elementary 
This is foundational. That's it. That's I, a good I had the it. wrong idea. Like, oh, Christians graduate from the forgiveness of sins. No, Christians rest and cling to the forgiveness, forgiveness of, of sins. Because if I don't have that, I don't have anything well, else. Well, like the old song says, I will cling to the old rugged cross yeah. and exchange it someday for a crown. That's wonderful. Yeah, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. And you don't ever get away from the cross. I want to talk about two things. We got like five, six, seven minutes, and then we need to go and talk about two things. Um, justification is the foundation for our actual righteousness. And what I mean is this, what God imputes, what he reckons, he imparts. So God reckons us as righteousness, as righteous, as perfect in his eyes. It's a legal standing, a legal standing before God. But now because of that legal standing, God has, uh, where before I was devoid of God's presence, God has taken up residence in my heart. In my soul, I am now once again in union with with the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in me, and so now I am really, actually made righteous, like in my thoughts, in my actions, and the things that I say, because Christ now lives in me because of my legal standing. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm in the family of God. I'm no longer separated from God legally, and so now really God works in me. Now, we know that God's actual righteousness is progressive, right? You don't get saved in the day of you never sin again, and you're made a perfect person. But it's his legal standing that is the basis for Christ to dwell in my heart, really live in me, and actually make me righteous day in and day out. What he declares that I am, by progression, he actually makes me into that. Right. That's why Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your your minds. And so there's a there's a process that takes place, a transformational process. Uh, there's this word I can't remember. Well, I probably have it in my Bible. Uh, you, want, you want to hear this cool word? Sure. So that's that's what, Romans 12, right? Um, I wrote this down. I got it from a doctor, a, a neuro doctor, somebody. Never seen this before, and I think it's in my Bible. Okay, it's... Um, it's retranscribing neuroplastically. Plasticity? Plasticly. Plastically. Neuroplastically. Retranscribing neuroplastically. All right. That's renewing of your mind. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the scientific way of saying that, mm. that there's a rewriting, a retranscribing neuroplasticity of your mind. It's rewiring, if you will. Mm. Is that a great word or what? That's I, awesome. I actually wrote it in, my, in the margin of my Bible, but it's uh, it, you're right. It's there. There has to you, there has to be a pragmatism. There has to be a, a fleshing out. And of, think, of think what about you are. this: the guilt of our, the punishment of our sin is sin and death and slavery to the devil. Right. So if guilt brings punishment, God hands us over to our sin. He hands us over to the devil. He hands us over to death, which is real life implications to my life. I obey the devil and my dead nature and the sin within me. But now that the guilt is removed, I'm no longer handed over to punishment. I'm handed over to life. So now I'm not under the actual control of Satan. I'm under the control of Jesus. I'm no longer bound to a dead nature. I've been given life because new I'm guilt-free. Yeah, a divine nature. A new nature. It made a partaker of the divine nature, the Bible says. Exactly. I'm no longer a slave to sin as punishment. God hasn't handed me over to my sin. A slave to God. I'm a slave to God because there is no punishment. So the legal framework removes the real-life punishment, which brings real-life change in, in my soul and in my heart. And that's why yeah. righteous people 
live right. Yeah. People who've been saved talk right. Yeah. They don't want to do the wrong thing. They think right. Okay. They offer the members of their body as instruments of righteousness. righteousness. Yeah. Okay. Because they were once a slave to sin, but now they're a slave to the Lord. And so that there is, and you know, the, I love the old, I love one-liners and I love the old saying, it's been around a long time. It works. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. One day you will be glorified. Mm-hmm. So there is, I think there were justification then leads to sanctification where I'm learning how to be like Jesus. You know, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in mm-hmm. him. And and so I think there's a becoming positionally. I'm I'm justified, but then there's that, you know, I'm sanctified, but I'm also there's a process. Yeah. I, you know, like John said, John John meant it in one way, but we can use it in another. John said he must increase and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. He was talking about as far as popularity and influence and whatnot, because John was a forerunner. But I love to say that because I I want to decrease. Mm-hmm. The less of me and the more of Jesus I can get, whew, the better off I'll be. Wherever the, there's the forgiveness of sins, there's also life and salvation. Absolutely. L- last thing I want to ask you, we got like like five minutes max, because it was something that I thought of that people might be confused about. Let's let's like hop way back to when we were talking about Christ bearing God's wrath. And you mentioned that phrase of like penal substitutionary atonement. I think a lot of people hear us talk about the atonement in a legal framework. We talk about Christ receiving the wrath of God. And I think certain presentations of that leave a bad taste in people's mouth. So here's what it sounds like. It sounds like cosmic child abuse. So God sees the sin of the world and he's just angry. He is just mad. His emotions are running hot. And so like a drunken dad walks in, and he just wants to take his anger out. He says, come here, son. And he just beats him up, slaps him on a cross, and there's like, I feel better now. All these other children just made me mad, so I had to take it out on Jesus. Is that what God is doing with Christ? No. Is he taking out his anger and abusing Jesus to let off some steam so he doesn't do it to us? There are so many things wrong with that kind of argument. I don't know if there's enough time to cover it all. First of all, he is the son, but he's still God. They're mm-hmm. one in essence, power, and glory. Uh, so so that's the first thing. So he's God. So it's not like he's the the little kid getting beat up by the drunk dad. He's, he's God, too. So they're God. Second... Um, it is there were there were no emotions there there's not any god doesn't have emotions yeah this isn't this this isn't god reacting like we do okay third this was a plan jesus was the the lamb of god slain before the foundation of the world before before the children that you said made him mad were ever created he already knew this was going to happen mm-hmm. so in his foreknowledge he said I'm going to make them, then I know what they're going to do because he's God. He knows everything past, present, future perfectly. So in holy counsel, they said, what are we going to do? Now, here's what we'll do. And we'll send the son. Son said, I'll go. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, and I'll raise you back to life, and then we'll redeem them. And then the, there was a whole plan. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, to go down that path is so humanistic. It, and by that, I mean it's so tainted with human mind mm-hmm. mindsets and thoughts and concepts but that you're you're changing it completely from what it was. I would say when the Bible speaks about things like God's wrath or his anger, it's speaking anthropomorphically. Mm-hmm. God doesn't have emotions. He doesn't have passions. He's God. He's divine spirit. But to be able to convey to us lowly humans what God is like and who he is, 
The Bible has to use language like that. Just like the Bible talks about his hand, God has his right hand, or God God has to turn away from sin. He can't look upon sin. God doesn't have eyes. Well, I, and I agree with you, and, and I might where I might diverge a little bit. I I I don't know that I go so far to say God doesn't have emotions because God is love. So, but love is not an emotion. No, but 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 God loves us and expresses that love, and He is like Jesus was moved with compassion. A compassion is an emotion. But He so, was also a man, at that right? Point, but it? I mean, but He was still God. So, so I would, I still think, and the Bible says that He loves us. You know, He loves His His, his the heavens are high, but they are so great. Is the love that the Father has for them, and it's just hard to just make that something that isn't at least emotional, because I think that's how we connect. I think that the expression, so that's where I'm going to differ a bit, is the expression of his emotions are not like what, and I think this is where we agree, like human emotions. Like he's just this wrathful, angry guy. And that people have had that wrong image of God. He's up there on the throne with a lightning bolt, just mad, with a scowl on his face, just waiting to strike somebody. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not it at all. He is perfect. He is perfect in every way. Anything he thinks or does is always right mm-hmm. and perfect and pure and good, and you cannot find one thing wrong with it. I would say, too, like on the emotions thing, like emotions are – God can't change, So, and emotions are something that are riled up. So I don't know that I'd necessarily say that God has emotions. Like he looks on our sin, and then his anger is roused or his wrath is aroused. He's not shifting and changing. But maybe God's anger or wrath is really just a human expression of God's own justice. That God, when there is sin, he punishes. When there is repentance, he forgives. He is compassionate on the repentant. He brings wrath on those who are unrepentant. He is steady and sure. So Christ dying on the cross isn't God letting off some steam, (laughs) but it's God working according to his just nature. That God must punish sin because he is just, it's unjust for God to just let sinners sin and destroy the world. And at the same time, according to God's nature, it's not merciful for God to not show mercy to the repentant, because he is all mercy and all justice, right? And, and the cross is where mercy and justice kiss, that he uh, you know, brings his justice on Christ and all of humanity subsumed, subsumed in Christ, and he brings mercy for those who would repent. Yeah, and you, Jesus. you and I may have to differ here. And I've, I've never gone down the road. I, I can go study it more because uh, I saw something on Twitter, maybe from one of your former professors or something. I don't know. Somebody did, but um, I know sin is repulsive to God. I mean, he, he labels it. It's an abomination, and I, I just think that that God can look on sin and unrighteousness, and because of His holy nature. There's nothing in him at all that's going to be positive towards that. Everything in him is going to be negative towards that. I don't think it's like human emotion, though. I think it's pure and a perfect f- feeling, if you will, because uh, I don't want God to be just become the great mind. I don't know. I guess I'm having a struggle with that. Either way— It's um, mysterious. It, it we is. We can't understand God. I, I can't understand God, but, I mean, we're created in his image, and I, which you know we've always said we have vo- emotions and volition and— and and uh, and a mind thoughts. So a lot of times people say we're creating his image. If it is true, you know, then we've got to change that paradigm. We've all, and we always heard. So, but I agree with you. It's he. He's not human. Mm-hmm. Like just reacting. Mm-hmm. You know, God can't react because he already knows. It. He already knows. Yeah, he already knows everything. He just acts. <laughs> he just acts. That's right. And so, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, the love and the grace and the mercy of God through the cross to justify us after we are a bunch of horrible people, Mm -hmm. horrible people. That to me just, oh, the glory of God. Amen. Well, look, if you enjoy this today, make sure to like, rate, subscribe, all the good things, send it to somebody who needs it. And we will see you back in a couple of weeks. 